This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today's guest has a master's degree in leadership development. She's been working for over 15 years in leadership development. She is certified co-active coaching, conversational intelligence, and is a frequent guest lecturer at universities. She is the person that leaders go to when they need tools so they can basically manage their own businesses with the tools given by her. It is Sarah Noel Wilson. Sarah, how's it going? It's good. So Sarah, listen, this is 15 years into leadership development. I mean, that's uh, for a lot of things, it doesn't sound like much. For others, Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. like crazy amount of time because 15 years ago we didn't have like what we have now social media and a lot of people talk Mm -hmm. about it so you started this before it was cool right (laughs) before (laughs) leadership was sexy (laughs) yes right so what made you 15 plus years ago pick uh leadership development yeah i you know i fell into it my my undergraduate degree was in theater performance and theater education. And I was doing, I was working at an insurance company so I could do theater at night. And one of the things that I started to become really curious about was just the dynamic of the person who is in the position of authority and the impact that they had on the team, not just on the business, but on the team. And, um, you know, and part of it was inspired by working with some people who weren't great leaders, but also part of it was inspired by working for people who were amazing and and becoming really interested in that dynamic. And so I, yeah, that's just what opened it up for me was to go, man, these these people have not not only the ability, the way I describe it is leaders not only have the ability to make or break businesses, but they can also make or break people. And I'm interested in that side of it. And so that's what got me started. And I just became insatiable. Like I learned as much as I could. I I made sure that I like moved into a management role so I could get experience. I'm like, I can't help people if I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. And that's what led me down the path of my master's and then leading the leadership development efforts and then starting my own company. So, uh, but I will say real quickly, you know, I'm talking about leadership in the formal role, but one of the things that has evolved for me is that that's just a role of authority. I don't believe that leadership is tied to a role. I think it's an act. I think it's 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 mm-hmm. it's not the title you have. It's what you do, and it's how you show up. So that's where I've evolved. Yes, yeah, yeah that's that's powerful and so f- fascinating. You were into theater <laughs> performance and theater yeah. education. So that's completely different than what you do today. I mean, let's be clear. When I interviewed for my first job in corporate America, in the interview, they asked me, do you think you could sit still in a cubicle? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So at least, I mean, at least you could perform during that interview. (laughs) Clearly not well, (laughs) because they were wondering if I could handle it. But yeah. Um, So one of the things you mentioned a lot of people, and me included, have experienced it, and it's the difference between leadership or somebody in a position mm-hmm. of power, and I guess that's the leader that sometimes nobody wants to follow. They're not a leader, I guess. It's the difference between boss or a leader, right? Well, and sorry and to interrupt real quick, lot- but like both people have power. It's just how they use it. But like to your point, yes. it's the one that is not using it for like the betterment of others. Yeah. 
Exactly, for the betterment of themselves. And sometimes uh, the business gets affected by it. And I saw that firsthand, uh, really big business being destroyed, mm. literally because of that. And I mean, the person most of the times doesn't know. Uh, do you think they know if if there's this, I don't know, somebody that you you know has the power to break a person, break a business, sometimes they don't know that they're bad yeah. at it or that they shouldn't be there. It's- so how do you tell somebody <laughs> like that? Well, I'll answer that in a couple of ways. I actually really appreciate your question and your awareness because, I mean, are there are there people who are consciously and unapologetically just like, I don't care. This is like, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. Tough. Absolutely, they are. But there's certainly the minority. But I, what I see is exactly what you're saying is most people who you know aspire to and want to be in a formal leadership role want to do it because they want to do good. They 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 have beautiful intentions. It's just their impact sucks, you know. And and so a lot of times we don't see the gap between what we intend to do and the actual impact we make, right? Um, it, you know, it's kind of like my joke is always, you know, whenever I work with leaders, I do I, I, like one of the questions I ask, you know, thousands and thousands of people now is, you know, like imagine your team members are having dinner and they're talking to their family member and your name comes up. What do you hope they say? about what it's like working with you. And it's always aspirational and it's always positive and it's always inspirational. I'm like, never somebody is like, I want somebody, I hope they say that I make them like walk on eggshells around me because they never know what they're going to get. Or, you know, like I hope the impact I make is that they question themselves. (laughs) Like that never happens again. We know that happens. So that's like my first thing is, you know, part of it is we, we, uh, we view ourselves through our intentions, which is not the same as the actual impact we make. Like that's first. And and a fun side note, um, there was a study that was done and they asked people, it was by Dr. Tasha Urich, and they asked people, how self-aware do you think you are? And it was like 80 some, almost 90% said highly self-aware, right? When they actually evaluated how self-aware were they really, it was only 10%. So like most of us, most of us have gaps we aren't even aware of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny what you mentioned that uh, most of them, if not all, wanted to be, you know, wanted to be liked, yeah. although they, it, not purposely, so they were probably doing things wrong. But the one in, I, in my case, uh, he didn't want to be liked and he, he would often say it. Mm. I'm not here for you to mm. like me. I'm mm. not here to be your friends. Mm. And um, so there was no conversation. I mean, if you're talking to your family or your friends, there was no situation where the you, <laughs> I mean, where there was positive things said about. Sure. Him, yeah, right? and he and he clearly didn't care. Exactly. That's that's hard. Yes. That, oh yes. Yeah. I mean that that's the that when you ask like how do you help somebody see that when somebody doesn't care about their impact or that it's costing somebody something. One, I would argue they shouldn't be in a position of power and they shouldn't be a leader, um, but you can't always control that. But those 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 people, um, you know, it's kind of like you can't coach the unwilling, right? Yes. And so, like, if they're successful in their own way and their company's okay tolerating that, then that's that's theirs. But it usually will take some significant act for that to change. But for the people who are, like, good, you know, um, uh helping them, you know, like helping them understand the impact. The part of part of the thing that gets in our way is just humans is that um, it's really hard for us to 
um, look at and own our role in contributing to something. It's hard. It's hard for us to see where um, we've done something that wasn't effective. It's hard for us to see where we get protective or we get defensive, yeah. you know, um, or whatever the or where we're making assumptions about people, and um, and so that that's really really tricky. So Sarah, over the last fifteen plus years, uh, while working with leaders and in your business, what was like one of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? Um. Well, that's a loaded question. Like for myself or with people, like like a challenge with a leader or like challenge within myself. With yourself or a leader, which one is like the most powerful one that you remember more vividly? You know, and I mean, what I what I will say is, you know, as a because I know a lot of your listeners are entrepreneurs and you know building their businesses. That I think in the the beginning, the biggest challenge for me was. Um, owning the fact that I had something of like a value to offer, right? Like having confidence in what I knew and having confidence that, um, that there could be a different way of leading. I think that that, that, you know, it's interesting saying this out loud. I don't know that I've um, thought about it in this way, but I, you know, I think one of the, one of the challenges that I've faced is really challenging that idea of what it means to lead. And that what does it mean to lead humans? Because our our culture in corporate America is very much bottom line, finances, outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. And I wanted to challenge that. And how do we lead people in a way that is more human? How do we show up with empathy? How do we um, do that? And so that was like a fundamental challenge of the system that got a lot of, I got, I got a lot of pushback, but also had moments of doubt of like, is that possible? Like, can we create leaders who actually deeply care about their team members and what's possible when that happens? But I mean, early on, it was just like my own personal doubt. And once I started to become more confident um, with myself and that obviously changed, but I've got lots of, you know, stories of fun challenging leaders, you know, and I'm sure people have stories about me in the same way. <laughs> the tables were turned. Well, one of the hardest ones is the one you mentioned is like the uh, the imposter syndrome, mm, mm-hmm. where you you don't think of yourself like uh, do you, do I really have something to offer? Yeah. And until we get rid of that, and I, I know a lot of people that suffer from the imposter syndrome that should never suffer yeah. from it because they yeah. are they have an an experience that could help so many people, but it's like one is the fear of public speaking or right. Even sometimes one-to-one, some people don't feel comfortable and they cannot express themselves at a hundred percent. And then that fear of like, why me that could, I mean, it consumes a lot of people and I've been through it. And um, I mean, years ago, this was something that I was scared of teaching people something. And there's one part of business that I know a lot and I've been doing it, you know, every single day for many, many, many hours. And for so many years that it's, it just, it's something that you just do. And I mean, how, how do you get rid of that? I mean, you did, but you well, know, I think I, I think I have a different relationship with it. I think I've quieted it, but you know, it's, you said something that's interesting. Um, uh, and you know, you, you, sh- cause you shared, like, it was something I've did for a lot of hours and it was just like what I did. And I think one of the things that's interesting when we talk about this idea of imposter syndrome 
is, um, you know, um, sometimes something that we are skilled in doesn't feel remarkable because it just feels normal. And right. And it just feels like, well, but everybody knows this. Like, I think that that's, you know, that was part of it for me was like, yeah, but everybody knows this and like realizing, oh no, not everybody does know this. Not everyone is spending hours like you were on what you were building. And so you had something to offer, but I think that it's kind of that, like, you know, I don't know if it's, it's not expert blindness. That's a different um, concept, but it is this idea of like, oh, but this is just like common sense. And so I think that's part of what can contribute to it instead of realizing that like, oh no, not everybody knows what you know. Not everyone mm-hmm. has learned what you've learned. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll say for me, I mean, a couple of things that has helped me have a different relationship with it. And the reason I say that is because, so I call it a saboteur, right? Like that's a, it's not my term. That's a term that's used, right? That little inner critical voice that says, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Um, uh, one of the, one of the ways that I like have a different relationship with it now is that um, it almost serves like a, a beacon that if it starts to show up, I know I'm playing in the right area. But if I'm not like pushing hard enough, like if I'm not having a little voice of like, ooh, are you getting are you getting like outside your comfort zone too much? Then I'm like, oh, I need to push harder. So now now it's like this little indicator of, okay, you're playing in the right space because you're uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. it's like instead of being paralyzed by it, having it push you, right? And um, and I mean some very specific things that I've done in addition to having a really great therapist, which I'm very pro-therapy, but like um, and working with coaches is just um, you know. Uh, naming it. I I like give my voices names, you know, like not yet Nancy, not yet Nancy is a voice in my head that says you're not ready yet. I'm like, I see you not yet, Nancy. I see you. Mm. I'm good. I actually think I got this, you know? Um, And so, uh, so that's actually work I've done with people is to help them like name it so they can create some space and go, is that true or not? You know? Yeah. funny not yet nancy so uh maybe i gotta start naming my voices as well <laughs> what would yours be if you like I, I mean i have a whole like you know cast of characters i better betty i have some that are not appropriate for work and i <laughs> you know i have i have many of them although i haven't thought about because i had never thought about naming them uh but there's one that shows up it doesn't matter if i try to control it or not it always shows up and it's the one that gets uh, I haven't named it yet, so I got to think about it. But it's it's the one that wants to go in every direction at the same time. Oh, that's my ADHD. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. So you know what I'm talking about there. <laughs> yeah, that's a diagnosable condition. <laughs> but, but does that what happens? So let me ask you, what happens when I love that description of like it wants to go everywhere at once? What happens when you realize you can't? I. When I realize I can't, I mean, I've realized that a long time ago, but it still keeps happening. And what I do is I decide, okay, this is the important task that has to be done. So when I go to start that task, uh, everything is fine. And then it looks like, I don't know, almost like a movie. Uh, You fast forward and I have 13 other tasks that I'm working on. And that first one is in the position where it was when the fast forward happened Hmm. and then I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Let's go back. And then I force myself to go back and it will, I will not stay in that task the full until it's complete. And I know I have to. Uh, So it's just, it's just so hard and, and it's almost like impossible 
to get control it. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's I mean, one, I admire your like ability to like hold structure and then like complete it. Um, you know, I, 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 I jokingly said, but also seriously from, you know, uh, from an ADHD perspective, don't know if you've ever been diagnosed, but many entrepreneurs are either diagnosed or undiagnosed, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes us great is we can think of all these ideas. We can like make all these connections. We can like, see, here's a hundred possibilities, you know, and your team's like, slow down. You gave us a hundred possibilities last week, Sarah. Like we could only do so much, you know, we only have so many hours, and like, and that, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that tension between something that makes you great. It, I, I'm sh- I know it makes you great, but like, but can become a problem because we just can't chase a hundred different shiny balls. <laughs> yes. You, you know, on my, on my Google Chrome, I have the bookmarks and I have them now in folders because, because I know of my issue, although I was never diagnosed. Um, I know of my problems. So I try to be super organized. So I know when that happens, I have mm. a folder to save things in mm. so I can look them at them at another date. So I have like the ideas folder, the pages that I want to copy or mm. take ideas from. And then I find when I realize, okay, you shouldn't be doing this right now. I save it into those folders and I leave it there. And then most of the times, I don't go back yeah, <laughs> to those yeah, folders yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. because then something else comes up. Yeah. But I have them all saved there and I'm I have the hopes that one day I'll be so focused and there's going to be some sort of um <laughs> limitless pill that, that's <laughs> going to get me so focused that I'll be able to do everything that I have to do and then I'll go through those folders yeah. and do all of that as well. <laughs> I'm laughing because like, you know, I'm laughing because what was coming up for me is I can't tell you how many times I've told the team, like, it's going to be a quiet month. We'll be able to tackle all of this. And the team member Kristen's like, that doesn't happen. But, but one of the, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, what you just shared is um, sometimes, sometimes there's all this advice out there, whether it's about being a leader, whether it's about building a business, whether it's about like how to prioritize your time, time management, And like, and the reality is, is that we're all, all of our brains are unique. And, and again, if you have any sort of um, like additional cognitive challenges, right. Whether that's like struggling with mental health or right. Like more neurodivergent from being on the spectrum or ADHD perspective is one of the things that's been a huge lesson for me um, is realizing that I need to write my own manual for what works for me and to be unapologetic about that. And to be okay that like, I know you all wake up at four in the morning. That's just not going to work for me. Right. And so I love how you figured out a system to at least like take those moments of inspiration. Right. Like I literally, my husband got me a t-shirt once that he custom designed it and says prone to inspiration. So you and I are like, we're in good company together, (laughs) but, um, but you, you created a system to be able to like, I'm going to capture that. I may or may not do something with it, but that's not as important as me getting it out of my head so I can then focus on what's next. And like, I love that because that's like your manual. And you touched on one of the things that we see a lot of the motivational or inspirational people talk about the, the times started changing. I noticed it was first like, oh, I get up six o'clock in the morning, then five, four, three. Now, there's people that say, "Oh, I get up at two thirty in the morning, I and I go, two hours a night. I go hit the gym." And if you're not doing that, you are missing mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, I've only had one hour of sleep by then. Yeah, right. Because I work till two because of, you know, some time differences I have to work with my team and suppliers. And in, in like when it comes to physical products and stuff, you have to deal with sure. suppliers overseas. So, I mean, when they wake up at three o'clock in the morning, uh, I've been sleeping for one hour. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that if you don't wake up at three o'clock, you uh, you're not doing enough. I mean, yeah. I could work or, or fourteen as, hours a day, or won't be as successful. You exactly. know, the time of what you when you start doesn't matter. It's how long you do it for, and how well you do whatever activity for. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm glad we're on the same page on that yeah. one too. <laughs> well, I well because I, I think what happens is that when people subscribe to one belief. They can feel a ton of shame because they're like, but I can't figure that out instead of going, well, that's okay that that works for them, but that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is because I'm passionate about from a mental health perspective, a lot of the like typical like suggestions for time management work if you're a neurotypical person. And what I mean by neurotypical, again, like you're, you don't have like, you know, people who have uh, struggled with ADHD or other, you know, challenges it's not a, it's not a choice. It's literally the fact that my prefrontal cortex doesn't work in the same way as yours. So I have to navigate that differently. And so I think that, I think sometimes what I see, I've saw it in myself, but I see it in other people is when they subscribe to, there's like one, one way to success, one way to build a business, Mm. one way to be like, whatever they want to be. There's a lot of shame, which then going back to the imposter syndrome can then like feed that imposter syndrome. Cause you're like, well, shoot, why can't I figure it out? What's wrong with me? Instead of saying, instead of like, what's wrong with me? It's like, oh, well, I actually work late because that's when I'm most creative and that's where my clients are. So that means actually I'm going to start my day at nine or 10, you know, and that's okay. And and that's so fascinating that you would say that. And I think I mispronounced fascinating. Uh, (laughs) But uh, because thinking about it, some of the people that now we follow and we like, in social media, that's their life. Is the, the social media is their life? So when I follow, let's say Dwayne Johnson, and he says, "I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, I hit the gym, and then I do this and I do that," I'm like, "Okay, yes, it does work for him mm-hmm. because one of his jobs is hitting the gym and taking pictures yeah, of yeah, himself." Yeah, yeah, Like he has to gym. have muscles to be and, successful. Yeah, and for example, another person that I follow and. He, uh, he's very powerful in in all all ways, physically and and the way he speaks. And is David Goggins? I don't know if you heard of him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And David Goggins, what he does is he runs. So he can run day and night. If it's raining, thunderstorm, tornadoes, he's out running, and he has somebody recording him while he's running. And I mean, he he was considered the most was it the most powerful man on or most the strongest man or whatever. Um, but of course, in my business, I can't wake up when he wakes up and go run the streets. For one, I can't yeah. physically do it. <laughs> I don't know even, that I want to, but I appreciate he does it. <laughs> but even if I could, that wouldn't help my business. Yeah. Because my business is not running and feeding my, uh, you know, three million fans on Instagram. So yeah, no, I mean, again, you bring up, ah, I love this conversation so much. And I'm so glad we went here. We didn't know where we were going to go. But I'm like, again, like going back to like the imposter syndrome, 
you know, these, these are like, I'm making some connections right now because of our conversation. It's like, they, it's so much driven by shame. And this like shoulds, oh, I should do this or I should do that instead of going, you know, like, I mean, wh- you know, one of the things that, you know, as, 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 as my business has grown and trying to f- figure out like, well, how do we be more strategic with marketing? How do we, um, you know, be smarter about our social media, right? All of that stuff. And, you know, and, and so I, you know, people give me tips. They're like, well, you just need to do videos every day. I'm like, I'm working with clients, you know, eight, 10 hours a day. Cause that's my business, you know? And so, so I've realized that I'm, I have to be okay with, well, if somebody's sole focus is I want to build an online community and that's my goal. Well, fantastic. Then that makes sense. But if I'm, you know, doing work with leadership teams, helping them deal with like their really tough stuff, and it's not negating the importance of social media, that's not what I'm saying. But is it is this willingness to say, what is my business? And what are the things that are going to serve it? And also, like, who am I? And what's going to serve me? And like, maybe I don't want to scale to be a multi-million dollar company. Maybe I want, I want this to be big enough for me to be in a small team to be really comfortable. And like, that doesn't make you a failure it's really powerful when we can get clear about like, who are we? What's the work we want to do? Who do we serve? And then what do we need to build around that? Not that I figured that out, but that's certainly something I think about a lot. Yeah. And you know what? It's so rare to find somebody that has everything so decided of what they want and what they don't want uh, that you rarely find somebody that builds successful business, multi-million dollar business. And I know one person that, cause they have been here on the podcast. And when that business got to multi-millions, they had just, the business was so big. They had, they had millions in salaries I'm talking mm-hmm. about 200 plus employees. And he's like, this is not what I want. Mm-hmm. He didn't want that. So mm-hmm. he got this cabin in the mountains and he moved out there. Because he didn't want the busy, multi-million dollar lifestyle. That's not what he wanted. But his business became so successful that that happened. So he removed himself from it. And that is something that has it figured out. I don't want this or I want this. Because a lot of people, when something happens, they're like, okay, this happened. Now I'm going to live with it. And this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to tolerate it. I mean, I will tell you because I mean, a lot of the work that I do is again working with like senior leaders and executive teams, and and I can't tell you how many how many people I've worked with who have hit that executive level, and and they didn't hire me for this, but it comes up and they go like, you know, I'm I'm at the peak, like, and I'm not happy, and like, is that normal? Right? It's kind of this mm-hmm. like permission to question this permission. Because again, this, you know, what, what success means, especially the, like, I mean, coming from America, like success is right. Like you're making the top 10, you know, whatever list you're, you know, you're making X millions of dollars. It's, you know, like, and, and to really get again, unapologetic about clarifying, well, what does success look like for you? And I, I love, you'll have to give me the name because I'd love to listen to that, that um, interview that you did, mm-hmm. because I think that, 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 that's an act of courage. I would argue that's an act of leadership to say, I'm going to, that's not what I want. I want this. Like, that's what leadership looks like. Yeah, for sure. So there's one thing uh, that, I I mean, I suspect what it is, but I'm not 100% sure. So I want to ask you, Hmm. what does it mean to be chronically curious? (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's, um, so to be chronically curious is, 
to always know there's something you don't know. It's to always know that, the, sorry, I have to laugh. A bird just hit my window. For people listening, previously, before we started recording, a bird hit my window. We joked that, what if that happens? And it happened. I hope yeah. the little guy's okay. But um, yeah, so, so, so curiosity, right, is just that, that willingness to like own and know that there are things you won't know and there will always be things and to constantly be searching for, you know, one of the reasons curiosity is such an important value of mine and such an important part of our practice, our work. So we have, we've built what we call the curiosity first approach, which is how do we really explore? How do we experiment? And then how do we evolve from that information we've gathered? And, and part of it is because of like my years the thing that I realized was causing so much stress in relationships. The thing that like the traps people would fall into with relationships is they would make assumptions. They would hold on to their lenses. They wouldn't own their role, right? The things that would be traps for leaders leading change is they would jump to quick solutions. They would, right? Like um, it all came down to this like need to either be right or this need to have it be simple. And, but when we can take a step back and get curious and go, there are just things I don't know. Um, and that's not passive, right? To be chronically yeah. curious isn't passive. It's actually quite active to say, well, what questions can I ask? What questions can I ask myself? How do I get curious with myself? How do I get curious with you? How do I get curious about the situation so that I can see more possibilities? So that's what it means to be chronically curious. Okay. You know, what? that that ties into one of my favorite sentences in in business, not in the, in the whole life, but in business, my favorite sentence is, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand how powerful this is. Yeah. Because like there's so many things that if you do not ask questions and if you don't look outside of what you already know, I mean, it, nothing wrong will ever happen because you don't it, right. you, <laughs> this is is very it's very powerful that what, you don't yeah, so what is it what is it about that? I mean, like I can hear your passion and like if you don't for you personally, like what is it about that idea of like you don't know what you don't know? Why do you think that's so important for leaders and business owners? well, in in my particular case, for let's let's come up with a a real example. Let's say I'm launching a, a physical product that's going to be selling in, let's say, 34 countries in the world. And I can't just because, let's say, I invented a fidget spinner, right? Mm -hmm. I can't just invent that fidget spinner and launch it because of I don't know what I don't know. So is it legal in all countries mm -hmm. to launch a fidget spinner? And saying this, a lot of people may think like, of course it is. And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Hmm. Uh, now, when you launch that fidget spinner, then again, are you allowed to call it a fidget spinner? Sure. Then does somebody own the name? Does somebody have a patent of something similar? Now, is that name a bad word in one of the countries that you plan on selling on? Right. And, right. So you, that's the things that I don't know and just thinking about it real quickly, uh, okay, that's not a big deal, but some of them could be big deals. And it has happened, Sarah, mm -hmm. simple things or things that you think are very simple, like, okay, I'm going to go import some bamboo from China and make some, some kitchen trays or whatever made of bamboo. Uh, and I mean, 
you don't know at first that you cannot just buy bamboo and import it. It has to go through a fumigation system to make sure that there's no viruses that mm. cannot be brought to the U.S. or to Canada. <coughs> I mean, if that's the kind of stuff that you don't know it at first, but it will come back to bite you. Yeah. Uh, because, right, uh, there's another one that is ignorance of the law is not an excuse or something like that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they yeah. tie in together. Just because you didn't know that existed doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I think that like that asking of questions, right? We, and we know that from research, right? Like all the top books on innovations are like one of the most important practices asking questions. And this is where going, my friend, going back to like, you're like, you seeing lots of possibilities. Like, that's, that's what serves you in being able to like, see those like, oh, I got to ask questions about that, right? Like, again, that's like part of your superpower is being able to see that the same is true in the work that I do, which is with relationships. And when people are navigating conflict, and when we're, you know, navigating, uh, or helping leaders navigate change, right? It's, you know, the, um, whenever there's an elephant in the room, right, you know, you can see it, because yeah. I was just doing a workshop yesterday on it. And but it's like, we're so quick to make assumptions and we're so quick to judge people. We're so quick to blame people. And we don't ask enough questions of what is it really about the situation that's triggering me? What is it really that I need? Cause it's not about you. It's about me and a need I have that's not being met. What assumptions am I making? You know, and then to like ask questions about the other person and like, what are they feeling? What makes sense to them? I and mean, people are always like, what do you mean? What makes sense to them? I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I was like, ah, but let's set aside the judgment because it does make sense to them. And if we can ask those questions, just like when you're talking about product, it's the same thing with people. Like if we just ask enough questions and are open to the possibility that one, we might be wrong, but more importantly, two, we will discover something new that's going to lead to a much better result, whether that's a, like a product or whether that's a relationship and the conversation we need to have. People don't ask enough questions and they certainly don't challenge my experience, I should say. And this is true for me. Um, we don't ask ourselves enough questions, you know? Wow. Sarah, I mean, ah, that, we can go on forever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so fascinating. You know, I interviewed the, the guy that was for 20 years, the head of the FBI's department of study of human, human behavior. Mm, and, and I mean, if somebody knows something about people is the, eh, the guy that's in charge of the FBI, that they probably know things that we don't even know exist. <laughs> right. And they study human behavior. And one of the things that we talked about is, for example, judging others. Mm. And he said it's, it's uh, very uh, near impossible to stop yourself from judging others. But if you are curious and you ask enough questions, you can actually change the way mm. you view that person. And, and like you said, it's being being curious. Yeah. So being curious and asking questions will get you the truth, right? Because what you see immediately on somebody or something is only your truth, is not the real mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask those questions, the truth will come out. Yeah. And and um, yeah, that's the only way to stop the judging people and to actually understand everything, not just people, but it. Uh, our assumptions are sometimes, or most of the times, are our enemies. Yeah, yeah. Because we assume things that are incorrect, or it's our, our perception of things. So, and they may have served us at some point. That's mm -hmm. why they're there, 
right? Or we observe them serving someone. Or even if when I say serving us, it may just be psychological safe, like protection. <laughs> that might be it. But they they have served us at some point. And it's it's like being willing to test it. And like, again, that's an act of courage to say, I don't think you're somebody who I will get along with, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Or I think, you know, and then like, well, let me test that, you know. And and I think, and you know, I love the story you bring up about the FBI agent is we have a lot of defaults that happens so quickly with our brain. And it's, it's, but when we understand it, then we can see it. And when we see it, then we can show up differently with it, but we can't Mm -hmm. always, you know, just like we can't always stop the defensive reaction. It's just going to happen. Right. Like, but I can see it and I can navigate out of it. Yeah, exactly. So now one of the things I want to know is because you work with leaders and not only work with leaders, you teach leaders and you coach them looking at, the very known leaders out there. Is there somebody that you you follow, like the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. Simon Sinek? Mm-hmm. Or can you name a couple of women in there? Notice how those were all men. Yes, but I can. I can yeah, because, give me some. You know, like, uh, but, and the reason I'm not I'm not poking you, but some of it is like like we our default of leadership is male because that's what we're used to. Uh, this is true. Although there are there are two that I personally like one one because of. The, what she believes in is Oprah Winfrey. And of yeah. course, they are very big names, uh, but Michelle Obama as well. Mm. And just because, and it's nothing to do with politics, because I know nothing about politics. Completely honest, Sarah, right now. I don't even know <laughs> if uh, Michelle Obama, uh, I know she was married to um, President Obama. <laughs> President Obama, yeah. Uh, I knew his last name. I can't remember his oh, first Barack, yeah. Oh, but there you go. Uh, see, that's how much I know. No, but that's, um, but you know, but like, and, like, the, you know, I don't know. And it's like, well, you should know our president, but I won't know, you know, like, I might not. I mean, that's, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, Canada doesn't even have a president. So, no, right. um, but I just think that um, because of what I've seen, that uh, she is a very powerful person and very easygoing. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it is true. Most of the very well known mm-hmm. uh, leaders out there are male and, like what what I said, like Elon Musk, Bezos, and then some others that are super powerful that a lot of people love them, others hate them, like Bill Gates. Yeah, uh, nobody knows now what's true or not about him. The things mm-hmm. that keep coming out. So, who who are your favorites? I mean, there's you know, I there's there's a couple, right? I mean, I'm and I'm thinking like names, like who are the names that that people would know? I guess you know, one person, and it will be a male to start with for different reasons is Dan Price with um, uh, gra- is it gravity, gravity payments. He, you know, he, so he was the CEO who um, cut back his wages so that everyone could have a living wage as his company. Right? I, I heard about 000. that. Yeah. yeah. And so following his journey, I th- what I, what's, in, what, what I like about him and what I um, uh, enjoy watching his journey as a leader is again, he's challenging the status quo of what does it mean to build a business? And, you know, and even when they had significant decreases in revenue, right? When COVID started, instead of laying people off, which is what most companies would do, they started having conversations as a company about how are we going to handle this? And, and again, you're only hearing one side of it. So I only can take in the story that is shared because again, to be curious, there's always things we don't know, but, um, you know, but collectively, the company decided to do sort of their own furlough program so that nobody would lose their job. And the people who were more financially stable took more time off so that the people who didn't have that kind of stability 
So that's one of the things that I like. He's somebody who I enjoy following from the standpoint of like leading a company because he's really challenging the status quo. Um, or at least that's like, you know, I mean, he took a, you know, the fact that he's minimum wage or minimum pay is 70,000 is unheard of. Right. Um, and then, you know, there's some others, obviously, like from a, a thought leader perspective, I think Brene Brown is incredible. But, you know, but part of it is not just like, um, you know, who she is. It's the fact that she tackles this really tough topic of shame and has been able to do it in a way where people have accepted it. And not just like women, but men as well have, you know, like, so there's that. Um, there's a, a, a leader, her name's Liz Wiseman. Um, might not be as well known, but she runs the Wiseman Group. And she wrote the book Multiplier, which is just a fantastic book. But I've had the chance to see her speak. I don't know as much about her personally. But I, I really admire um, the type of work she does, how she communicates it, but also how she's building her business, because, you know, she wants to keep her practice smaller, but she wants to scale it. So she's made some really like powerful partnerships with Franklin Covey to get the content out more. And so that's like, again, like when I look at um, female business owners that I would aspire to be like, she's definitely somebody on that list. And now, Sarah, I know you are working on a book. Yes. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Or is it still a secret? No, it's not. It's not. It's, it, I mean, it won't, it won't be probably by the time. No, it's not. Um, yeah. So I, uh, the book is called Don't Feed the Elephants. Uh, how do we overcome the art of avoidance? You know, that's my nice way of saying we avoid the tough stuff, the art of avoidance to build powerful partnerships. And really what the, the book encompasses is just for the last 10 years, I really have been on this personal journey of how the heck do you create cultures? where we actually can deal with the elephant in the room and, um, and how do we, and, and not, and when I say deal with, you know, some of the, the perspectives that I'm trying to challenge people is it's not about calling the elephant out. That's very like assertive and aggressive. And a lot of times when we think about the elephant in the room, again, going back to judgment, it's like, you're the elephant in the room. The leader's the elephant in the room. It's very blaming instead of recognizing that no, the elephant in the room is there because I see a like, problem and I've not done anything about it. The moment I become aware that there's a harmful barrier and I don't address it, I've actually created the elephant. So that's like one of the things I want to challenge people to redefine that definition. Um, that the elephant in the room isn't a person. They might be doing behaviors that are not productive, right? But it's the moment we avoid is actually when we're feeding the peanuts. So that's why the title of the book is don't feed the elephants, like, stop feeding them, right? That's how we're going to Wow. So see if I understand correctly, when there's an elephant in the room, you may be the only one yeah. that sees it. Yeah. Is that yeah. that's the case? Because you created yeah, it. Yeah, and, and it's created because there's right a harmful barrier that's getting in the way, right? Like that's the like definition, right? It's a harmful barrier that's getting in the way of success that we're not addressing. Everyone might see it, which means we've all like just been throwing at peanuts. <laughs> you know, I like to like the visual of that of just like, oh, we all know that this process isn't going to work, but I'm not going to say it. Here you go. Let me chuck a peanut and that, you know, elephant's going to grow. Um, and part of that, part of that shift is because again, like in working with, with people in these moments when there's clear elephants in the room, as long as we're coming from a place of blaming, we can't, can't move to a place of getting curious, exploring, resolving creating something different. And so the first place we have to start with is ourself is, man, what, why do I, what's, what is it about this situation? What role did I play? Is this a performance issue? Is it a preference issue? Like what's really going on? And then again, like, how do we get curious about them? 
Because sometimes we don't even need to have a conversation to free an elephant. We can just, by asking ourselves questions and going, oh, now that I think about it, that's not what Quinn meant. And then Mm. poof, it's gone. So don't feed the elephant. And that's the name of the book. And when when do you expect it to come out? End of January. January 2021. 2021, end of January. Yeah. All right. So... When it does, send me a reminder so I can remind everybody that that's listening, that's interested. Like, okay, the book is out. Uh, go go get it before it runs out. <laughs> you know, we'll help. I mean, here's the thing. I I just so I I see so much. There's so much unnecessary suffering and stress because we don't know how to show up with the uncomfortable moments. So we avoid it, and then we become resentful, and then we tolerate, and then we do we do all this stuff that make me feels safer in the short term, but in the long term causes so much more damage. So I just I want people to be armed with like, how do we actually show up in a way that's compassionate, candid and curious? Yeah, and that's absolutely true. When you're resentful, it will build up. And if it ever gets to a point where it explodes, then there's going to be a lot of more consequences than just that. And sometimes it's a misunderstanding that causes that resent. And but if we can have the conversation and I can understand that it's a misunderstanding, then we can actually heal it, and move forward. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, tell us where can people know more about you? Where can they find you? Your Instagram, LinkedIn, where do you want people to go? Yeah. Um, I think that I mean one, our website is www.sarahnollwilson.com, and that's Sarah with an H. N-O-L-L-W-I-L-S-O-N. Otherwise, you absolutely can find me on all the social media channels. Although I will say that I'm like, I play most in Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, so definitely connect with me there. There you go. So I'll have those on the show notes. Awesome. Uh, and Sarah, thank you so much. It was a huge pleasure talking to you. Likewise. And uh, well, as soon as the book comes out, like I said, remind me and we, we'll either have you here again or I'll send the reminder to everybody. No, I appreciate that. I'd love to love to talk more about that. I'll give you a copy. You know, I can. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Books are cheap once you print them, actually. <laughs> Send me the e one, the e-book yeah. one. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you do. And I really just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thanks for subscribing to FailFast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit FailFastPodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.